We're back at it again with another Best Hits episode for you today. In case you didn't know, every seventh week, I need a little mental health break to recharge the batteries. So today, I'm resharing episode 116 featuring the magnificent Maggie Interrios of the Lovely Little Patterns. This one is easily in the top three most shared episodes to date, and that's because Maggie is a rock star and packs an absurd amount of McValue nuggets for freelancing artists and designers in this heater of an episode. And we're back the next two weeks with a two-part Side Hustlers Coaching Student Spotlight episode special, followed up the following week by Alan Peters of Peters Design Co. Woo! We're getting sprung as we end spring with tons of gold. So stay tuned and let's get into today's banger featuring Maggie of Little Pets. And to me, it's like cut the fat, say no to those and work with the brands that you want to work with to create the projects that you want to create. Perspective Podcast is fuel for your mind and creative grind. Each week, my guests and I provide the skills for thinking bigger, overcoming adversity, and making an impact with your work. What's going on? This is episode 116 of the Perspective Podcast. My name is Scotty Russell of Perspective Collective, and I'm here to help you build a killer side hustle and elevate your brand outside your day job. Also, at the end of each one of these episodes, I share a listener of the week, so stick around to figure out how you can get a shout-out on a future episode in the show notes as well as in the newsletter. Another update about life right now, because life is just crazy. Lots of things moving right now. Uh, they're evolving, and I'm constantly going to be tweaking things on this show that I feel will bring you not only the most value, but also make things the most efficient for me. As I continue to inject video into the podcast, I'm not going to lie, video is insanely uncomfortable. Last week's video is definitely not the best. It's challenging. It's stressful because I know the quality isn't where I want it to be or where I envision it to be yet. It's going to get there. And at the same time though, nothing is ever perfect when you start, but it's really exciting to know that I'm working towards this bigger vision and I'm normalizing this fear of video at the same time. So here's a quick overview of what's going on in my world right now, as there's a lot of moving pieces. Currently, I'm creating this thing called, well, I'm calling it a side hustle war chest that's filled with resources like uh, mural surprise and references and quoting strategies, six tips for finding time to grind outside the day job, iPad Pro accessories and procreate resources, and my top tips for building an engaged audience. So those are the four that I pretty much almost have wrapped up right now. And I have a couple other ideas of what I want to do to make a fifth or a sixth one. And this is all going to be a free download for you, and it'll be available soon, all right, in exchange for an email, because growing my email list is number one this year, but I want to make sure I'm giving you value to do it, and I want my email to be valuable as well. And with the help of my homeboy, Tom Ross, CEO of Design Cuts, who will be on the show in March, with his help, I'm chipping away at a total website revamp, a total self-brand revamp. So I'm going to be doing my main site, perspective-collective.com, and perspectivepodcast.com. So I'm slowly putting that into the works. And by April 1st, I'm shooting to have interviews and solo episodes streamlined with video, both websites up and running along with this war chest available to you, if not sooner. So yeah, that's all the announcements right now. Let's pivot into today's topic with our incredibly talented guest, Maggie of Little Patterns. She's an illustrator, packaging expert, and author of both the Nature Observer Journal and the Gather Foraging Journal. 
Her incredibly detailed style has landed her clients like Apple, Instagram, the Chicago White Sox, and soon to be a massive release with no other than Champagne Poppy. And listen to the end or Google it if you don't know who that is. And while her work is out of this world, her business chops and willingness to transparently share her knowledge is what I admire the most and what sets her apart. So today, Maggie does not hold back as we go deep into topics like pricing your work for small brands and agencies, along with pitching, the importance of contracts and breaking down licensing. There's so much gold in those first two topics. We also talk about how to be more confident and take yourself seriously, how to define your label instead of letting others define it for you. There is so much gold in this episode, so much value, and I need your help spreading it. If you found this valuable today, please share it with your friends and your online following by taking a screenshot or video of you listening and share it on your Instagram stories and make sure you tag me and Maggie so we can connect and I can reshare the love. And before we get started, I got to give a huge thanks to today's sponsor, Crop Conference. Crop is a two-day celebration of creativity, community, and inspiration. They bring in the world's top creative talent like past guests Benny Gold, Young Jerks, and the Hoodsby Design Duo. Their upcoming April 18th and 19th lineup in Baton Rouge is no exception. Stick around for a killer promo code. And in the meantime, check out their Instagram at CropCons or CropCons.com for the full lineup. Also, one final shout out needs to go to Iron Bean Coffee Company, supporting all of February's episodes via their Patreon pledges at Patreon.com slash Perspective Podcast. Fred and Chanel roast and sell their own kick-ass coffee along with hand-throw mugs and merch at IronBeanCoffee.com. And again, if you've been following my Instagram stories, I've been showing sneak peeks and process videos of this insanely dope design of an owl in space with pizza, all kinds of cool things because owls are their mascots. Anyways, as always, keep an open mind and act on anything that inspires you today. Let's go. family today i'm sitting here with the incredibly talented and patient maggie enterios of little pattern welcome to the podcast thank you so much for being here how are you today great third time's the charm third time's the charm this is our third attempt of recording this nothing but technical difficulties but you know we switched mics we switched platforms now we're on skype the video quality is probably not going to be there but that's okay the content is gold our First call, we talked about both believing in ghosts, and I feel like this has been a test or like something. This is definitely a test, and we all talk about responding to adversity. That's a big thing on this show, and how are you going to respond and adapt to the, you know, whatever's going on in your life, and we're responding right now. So, yeah. all right, for the 17,000th time, <laughs> for those who don't know, give a brief Wikipedia page summary about yourself. My name is Maggie Antarias. I'm known as Little Patterns on the internet. I'm an illustrator. I focus mostly on packaging design um, and some branding, but my work is characterized by really dense patterned illustrations. Dude, you have your elevator pitch down <laughs> right shorter now. Shorter and shorter and <laughs> you're shorter. You're so good. If anything, if you go on this trip or whatever you got coming up, dude, you're going to be so rehearsed for whatever you go on. So there's one positive, a silver lining. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about your backstory and how you got into doing your thing full time because it's more than just freelance and 1099s. You're like, you're a corporation, right? Or yeah. corporate. I'm a two person corporation. Two person. Husband and I, both on the payroll, making yeah. things happen. Yeah. Killing um, it. 
how did it get there? Because you started in tech and now you're doing your thing full time as little patterns. Yeah. So uh, about 10 years ago, I'm 29 now. So when I was in college, I went to art school in Chicago. Um, when I was in college, I signed up at a temp agency who placed me at Grubhub, which was a tech startup in Chicago. And I was a um, data entry temp. So my job was to crop the logos out of scanned restaurant menus and upload them to the Grubhub site. And that's all I did every day. And then the company was so scrappy and small at that point, I think there were only like 40 employees. So right around when I was nearing graduation, I was around 20 years old, um, I asked if I could do a few little graphic design tasks around the office. So I was kind of designing like internal posters, stuff like that. And it was like a really cartoon um, character driven aesthetic. So just like using the pen tool and Photoshop and building these like really tacky cartoons, but that was part of the, uh, the brand. And I just, um, kind of started picking up hours here and there. I was working as, you know, an hourly temp and right around when I was getting ready to get out of school, I asked the creative director if there was any chance he would bring me on as a freelancer. And he was like, yeah, sounds great. I was like, what? You were making like a shit ton of money too, or hourly for starting off like that. Something unreal. Well, so I was making like eight fifty an hour at the temp agency. And so when I asked him if I could go full-time freelance, he was like, what's your hourly? And thank God that I didn't just say like eight fifty because I didn't know any better at the time. And I just said, I was like 40. And he was like, okay. And I immediately was like, I nodded and I immediately like walked into a supply closet and just started like crying. I was like, my life is coming together. Like, I'm not going to live on the streets. We've made it. Yeah. So I worked there for about four and a half years, um, just sort of climbed the ladder. I was brought on full time, became an art director. Um, I got I, I actually stayed freelance for that entire time, but I was working 50 hours a week you know, at a desk at Grubhub. So it was kind of an odd situation. Um, but what happened was I, I I was happy there, but I kind of could see this bigger picture where I knew I didn't necessarily want to do corporate style graphic design for forever, even though it was going well. So I, I decided that the only way I was really going to get my career to the next level was I had to take a position somewhere else and somewhere else where no one saw me as like the data entry temp anymore. So I got a job as the art director um, and effectively the head of design at this second startup. But like the day I started there, I started thinking to myself, you have one year. And in that one year, you need to build something for yourself. Like this is a good transition stage and it's a new job and you don't have any of the baggage of the last job. Like it's a chance to start fresh but I really got serious about freelancing on the side. So I was picking up, you know, gigs here and there, like really shitty, really shitty illustration jobs. Like how much for a pop per each one? Like how much were those at the beginning? Mine were like $50 a pop. Like 20 bucks are free. Um, I designed the only banner for, or the banner for the only vegetarian stand at Chicago hot dog fest, where it was like a ke cartoon <laughs> kebab with like little gloves on. Like I, I had to look at myself and do that. Um, it was just like really bad. Uh, and I took on gigs like, you know, like 
my parents would meet a woman who owned a thing with her sister and the sister would call me and be like, we need a logo, you know, I'll give you $5. And I was like, okay, like I I was getting that solid income, um, from my art director job. And I thought to myself around the six month mark, I thought, okay. And, And it had gotten a little better by this point. Like that was my early freelance gigs, but I was starting to get some some at least really aesthetically pleasing gigs for very low, low fees, but it was moving in the direction of little patterns. So I was, I was getting work that was exciting to work on. Um, I was doing a lot of concept art. So people would say, Hey, I'm designing a wine and I need an illustration. Our budget is $200. Our budget is $400. And the artwork never went to print or never got chosen but I was doing these little gigs here and there that I could kind of sort of piece together. And I told myself that if I could get to 15 hours a week of freelance, in addition to my full-time job, that if I could fill 15 hours with illustration, then I could fill 40 hours with illustration. For sure. Like proof of concept kind of thing. It was like, once I get to that 15 hour mark, I'm going to quit. And you'd been saving up too, right? Yeah. Well, honestly, I was making a lot. I, I, I was very privileged in the sense that I was making a, like I was making an art director salary, like with stock options. And this was my side hustle, but I took it so very seriously, like no nights, no weekends. I mean, I was really hitting it hard in the way that I do think true entrepreneurs understand you have to do like you, you are, everybody says, you know, I have this dream but I'm so tired when I get home at the end of the day. Um, I hear it all the time. But you do have to push through it. Like I was not happy illustrating until 3 a.m. Like it sucked, but I could see the bigger picture. I had a really good support system. So my husband, who was then my boyfriend, was always like, do it, do it, go for it, go for it. He's a keeper. Well, I capped him uh, so far. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember really taking the train into work. Uh, about three months before I quit. And that was the day that I was like, let's do it. It's happening. Little patterns had had taken off a little bit. I was getting requests where people said, the email started, you know, I love your work and then described what they wanted. It wasn't like, hey, we're looking for a logo. Can you do it? Where was Instagram and Behance? Because I know you've been using Behance. All right. So where was Instagram and Behance in the scene of all of this, this freelance? Were you attracting work through these platforms that we, everyone should be using? Yeah. I, I had a Behance portfolio first. So that was like, I had, I actually had that since college. Um, and just, you know, it's filled with like Grubhub work and advertisements that I had done through there, really different aesthetic, but it allowed me to kind of have a platform to start posting my own style of work. I got an Instagram account you know, kind of started to figure out like, whoa, there's a community built into here and decided to start a passion project, which I think is just such a good idea for anybody that's starting out and trying to build their aesthetic. What was yours? Drop caps with patterns, was it? it yeah, it was uh, capital letters. So I, I got to L basically before my career started. So I've still never done M, which is awesome actually. But, but yeah, I had started doing this. I really started hitting that hard right when I was transitioning to that second big job. And by the time I took the train into work that day, three months beforehand, called Adam, 
my husband and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to quit. Like, this is so stupid, but I'm, I'm ready to do it. And I'm, I, it might be irresponsible and it might be crazy, but like, we could do this. Right. And he was like, yeah, yeah. It was just like this really good answer. Like he was confident where I was nervous. You know, he was like, you're, you've always been the type of person where you were going to do this. So you might as well do it now than later. You answered the call. Yeah. Like I knew. So after that, I was like living a double life at work. I got the gig with Apple. So I was brought on to do the illustration when they launched the iPad Pro 9.7. What year was this again, by the way? Because this is like when you got your first opportunity, right? Yeah, 2016. So three. it was three years ago this month. Oh, shit. Three years. Look what all can change. And look what a passion project. Even if you start a passion project, you're a prime example of you don't even have to fucking finish it. It could lead to something that's next. Never finished that. My life is 100% different. Like the only thing that's the same is my hair color. Everything else is different in my life. And it all happened when I started taking myself seriously and thinking like, I'm going to build something and I'm going to put in the hours and I'm going to make the sacrifices and I'm going to fight for it. And it happened. And it didn't happen with like luck. It happened with like skill meets the privilege of having some some confidence and, uh, you know, a base of security. I had an emergency fund. I, I got it together is the only way I can describe it. I think so many people struggling. When did you know that you tapped into your style? When did you know, like, this is it. I've arrived. Was it when you started experimenting, adding floral in? Cause you said you've always done some kind of abstract art growing up, right? Yeah. And I, I did, you know, I went to art school and so much of my thought pattern was like, I would like to be a fine artist and I would love to sell art. And I don't really think I realized at the time that you can be a designer. I think some of us have that disconnect where it's like, you're an artist or you are a graphic designer. And I don't really think I realized that there was this niche area of desire for you know packing, packaging design that looks like artwork. Like commercial commercial art. Yeah, definitely. Editorial work. I just don't think I realized that was there. So when I kind of hit this point, which I do think was adding florals in, where it went from me trying to get into galleries to me thinking, wait, someone might buy this like to use it like in an application, not just as something you stare at that's pretty on a wall. And that was what kind of flipped the switch or grew the seat or whatever euphemism you want to use but that was what me made me realize like this style is not only something i like creating i think it's marketable and i had worked in marketing for like six years seven years at the time so that was how my brain worked i thought like can i sell it <laughs> can i make money off of it and all of my like abstract stuff i was like that's cool the only people that like that are my mom and my friends like what does the mass market need and where is that opening and I think it's in art in business. So did something like Instagram following and all that stuff, like for me, that's what started giving me the affirmation, knowing that, oh my God, I have something here. Okay. I just was like a starving artist or this was a hobby. And then one day it's like, wow, you catch one little feature. For me, it was good type. For you, it was gang. for me, that was like a switch of like, okay, this isn't just art. This is something that can be commercialized. Absolutely. I mean, we live in such a, like our whole lives, you and I are the same age, save for a few months, like our whole lives after college or growing up, 
being in our 20s has been online. And so much of what I was doing, you know, posting onto Facebook, something I drew and having, you know, my mom's friends tell me it was pretty does not feel the same Mm -mm. as when you have found a community of like-minded people that like your work. Like that is huge because that makes you feel like, well, they're not just saying it because they're my friends. Like they're not just saying it because they feel that they have to, like people actually are responding to it in a positive way. So yeah, finding that online community was game changer. Absolutely. And you stuck true to your core. You're an illustrator and we had this conversation the three times ago about yeah. how like we're illustrators yet at the same time lettering is just like a channel of your illustration you were able to tap into this other community not only <clears throat> people who like monochromatic or black and white art or floral yeah. related art tattoo. then, you, then yeah. you opened it up from tattoo to possibly flash sheet branding to lettering artists so you have your style of n- your, your niche style your niche whatever you want to say and then you market it way more by adding in just lettering to it. Absolutely. I think for me, being able to touch, like you said, touch multiple markets with a similar aesthetic, that's really good. And you get a very diverse understanding of the market. So yeah, like the lettering community is very interesting to me. I can't claim to be one because I cannot letter for shit. It takes me a long time. I think of, I think of myself as doing like typographic arts or like typography has a home and a place within my work. Can't, I cannot do cursive. Like I try so hard. It's just not in me. I don't have the background, but what I do have is a background in, you know, tattoo arts and black and white. Like you said, uh, fine liner illustration. Like there are these multiple communities that you can touch and sort of see how they're responding. And packaging design is something I've been doing for two and a half years, like for a while of that. And that's like a whole different category. Like it's so mathematical, so based on uh, typesetting. And I use InDesign, which like I had not used since college. Like There are a lot of other skills that are required, but they do like these communities combined, they do enable me to really keep things interesting while still building that brand. I want to take a few moments of your time to give a huge shout out to Matt and Ariana Dawson for putting on Crop Conference. They produced five sold out events in three short years through Crop and their pop-up Crop events. This April is no exception. Expect two full days of workshops, speakers, after parties, and most importantly, building new relationships with like-minded people. I can't explain how much conferences have changed my life, especially ones like Crop. And this year includes big names like Lauren Hom, James Victory, John Cantino. I got Fug Strader hosting a workshop. My friends Adam Vicarell, um, he'll be speaking, as well as my awesome friend Lisa Quine, who is just an absolute beast. And she's been on the show. Those last three people, plus Lauren Hom, they've all been on the show before. But you should totally check them out. So here is a podcast listener only deal. When registering for Crop 2019 in April, use the code PIZZA to automatically be entered to win a free ticket to their pop-up crop fall event. Potentially, that's two conferences for the price of one, and you cannot beat that. And again, this one will sell out just like all five of their other events have. So use PIZZA and register at CropCons.com today. Your boy's going to be there. I already got my Airbnb booked. 
Airbnbs are booking up quick too, so get on it now. Otherwise, there's two dope hotels. Everything's within walking distance. It's a close, intimate setting. It's super special. So come and party with me and the crew. Thanks, Crop. Thanks, Matt and Ariadna. I appreciate you guys and I love you. I want to dive into because you know a lot from this business angle. And I know most of my listeners really struggle, you know, sinking their teeth into the business side, you know, putting on the business cap and turning off or taking off the creative hat, you know, flipping the switch. You know, what's the process like for you when onboarding a client? Where are you getting your uh, your leads or your inquiries? And what's it like when you're you're pitching them, you're uh, then pitching the price, you're presenting your concepts to them. And then I want to dive into uh, licensing and contracts because you are a wealth of knowledge and you're going to blow people's minds with this. Yeah. So um, most project inquiries do not come in through Instagram. I kind of have this, I, I don't call it a joke, but it's like this lighthearted feeling towards leads from Instagram because if someone doesn't go to my website, it's probably not a valuable lead. You know, somebody who actually needs work is going to take that moment to click go to the website, read, find my contact info, send a message. But most of my work comes, so most of my work comes through my website and people find me a lot on Pinterest. That's huge. Art directors are just like us. They make boards and they build their ideas before they reach out to artists. So I make sure that I have a presence across platforms. I tag, you know, across Instagram, Behance, Dribbble, and my own website, And I have that all filter into Pinterest just in the hopes that it makes itself onto as many inspiration boards as possible. Smart. Yeah. Um, But like you said, there are two buckets of clients that I usually get. I have companies or people that own their own company. And then I have agencies that have been hired by companies. And those are two very different buckets and they're very different in how you deal with them. Licensing is pretty huge, which I feel like is this (laughs) kind of behemoth of uncertainty that everybody has. Like I get so many emails and questions that are just the words, what is licensing? (laughs) And I'm like, I can help. (laughs) Um, So uh, the interesting thing about illustration versus graphic design is that, and I don't really know why this is, but I'm not complaining, but illustration is viewed by like the Copyright Alliance of America or something like that. Um, illustration is viewed as original artwork. So you as the creator of an illustration inherently own the copyright. That's how original artwork creation works. You, you, ju- you it, it is a product of your intellectual property. It is something that you create. It is yours. Someone can pay you for your time, but they're not paying for the artwork. So the way that I structure my deals with people are, uh, it's a twofold it's artwork creation plus a licensing fee. And that licensing fee allows you to buy or borrow the rights to that piece of original artwork. And uh, of course, you know, it's different working with smaller companies versus bigger companies because so much of a licensing fee depends on the footprint of that artwork. So something that's going to be shown, you know, one time on one limited edition t-shirt at one concert like that licensing fee is and should be very low. Yeah. Like you should not expect to sell that licensing fee for an astronomical fee. But yeah, if a giant company and a corporation is relying on your artwork to sell their product globally, 
they're running ad campaigns with it, they're doing film, they're doing print, that licensing fee should reflect the value of your work. So you want to know how I calculate that? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I know that we don't bill hourly, but I myself, my style of work, it does inherently take an extraordinarily long time. Give a, a spectrum from a smaller, small, like a brand to like a large scale agency job. What's like the range of time? I mean, if we just break this down into like basics, like sketching in your mind, you're like, oh, I can sketch that in 30 minutes. Sketching can take five, six hours. Like you're researching, you're thinking, you know, you're in the shower and you're like solving problems in your head. Like it's just conceptualization. Yeah. That's a long time. You're not doing anything else during that time. Like you are thinking and focusing. So I do have to cover my own hours, which I do with my fee. I don't necessarily have an hourly fee, but yeah, a design that takes, you know, if somebody was designing like an album cover with a simplistic vector style illustration, even though I'm not devaluing like the worth of their art, yes, it does take probably 95% less time than it takes me to illustrate something. So my pricing reflects that. I'm a pretty expensive designer. As you should be. If I'm being perfectly honest, yeah. Well, and the wealth that you, the, the knowledge that you're spitting today too, just that's bonus value, you know, like that's, you're educated as well. You're professional. You are a professional. You're not just a dope ass artist. You are truly a fucking incredible professional. Yeah, and it's been really fun. I, I have a I have a mind for. I'm kind of like a sponge for learning this business stuff. Like I find it very interesting, and it's it's a very cool area to be in. But yeah, yeah. So so my creation fee for artwork typically covers what would normally take me like 15 to 40 hours. Of course, it it varies depending on like. If a product, you know, if I'm designing something that's like a small product, it's going to take less time than if it's a giant product. I'm at the point where I've, I've done so many different sizes and styles of illustrations, which everybody's just going to be so stoked when they get to that point because it's the happiest place where somebody can say, how long will that take you? And, you know, with clients, obviously you have to let them know that there's back and forth included. But if, you know, Adam, if I'm leaving, the, if we're leaving the house and he's like, well, how long do you have left on that? I can kind of look at it and go, mm, eight hours and 30 minutes. Like it just, I've done it so many times, which is such a great place to be because you're not telling the client a fee that reflects 10 hours when it's actually going to take you 50. You're more dialed in and precise on yeah. quoting hours. Yeah. I, but I really encourage everybody to like track the actual time it takes you to do actual projects, passion projects. Everything you do, smart. just check in, track your hours now, because if you're building that portfolio of things that you want people to hire you for, you want to be able to know the value of that work because in your mind, you're always going to minimize it. You're going to look at your drawing and say, oh, that took me like two hours, it took you 10, but you know, you're billing your client thinking you can do something like that in two hours, which you probably can't because there's a ton of back and forth in the production time. So there's that creation fee which is like loosely based on my own hourly estimate plus whatever file preparation I anticipate having to do packaging design files or even vectoring. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That vectoring is always a line item on my invoice. So if you want it vectorized, 
it's either hourly. So I have like an hourly fee for, for pre-created artwork. So if you, if we designed something and you want that pre-existing artwork to be vectorized, then I do it hourly. If we're starting and you may need it, something vectorized later on. Um, and there are like multiple pieces, maybe I'll offer you like a couple hundred or thousand bucks per piece, depending on the size of it. But that's, I mean, that's just hours at that point. So I have no problem billing those hours because it is so time consuming for sure. And then licensing is usually for me based on a percentage of that artwork creation fee. And that is keeping in mind that, you know, like I mentioned, smaller companies are one-time uses, their footprint is smaller. So the licensing fee is smaller. What would be like an example of that pricing wise? So like if I do a 2,500, I should pick a whole number. Let's say I'll do a $5,000 drawing and it's for a mid-sized company and they are distributing in the States. They're not doing anything international. It's a small company. Maybe it's the first product they've ever put out. Then my licensing fee for that would probably be about a hundred percent. So it would be an additional $5,000 making a $10,000 project. And that's just for a, a short-term licensing or, or is that a buyout? Yeah. So I usually break it into one year, three year and buyout options. Most packaging people want the full buyout. Cha-ching. For those of you who don't know what a full buyout is, the artwork is theirs to use in perpetuity. Um, a lot of people tell you not to do full buyout. I personally have no problem with it. <laughs> I think that if I'm creating the artwork for a purpose, I cannot imagine relicensing that artwork to somebody else. I think that devalues my own brand. I think that devalues the artwork that we created. I love having happy clients. I don't want those clients to feel like I'm going to jack them on something like, but knowing that budgets are flexible, I always offer a one or three year license, which is great for somebody that's, you know, trying out this new t-shirt design or trying out this certain product for like holiday collections. If they're doing a holiday 2019 collection, they don't need that collection in 2020. So they're more likely to buy a one year license. And so a one year license would probably be about 30% of my creation fee for a smaller company where if it's like a giant company, then it could go up as high as 300%. So that'd be $15,000 of licensing on top of that $5,000 creation fee. So it really does fluctuate, um, which is a good time to plug my favorite book, which you're going to tag for sure, right? Yes. The Graphic Artist Guild has a ethical licensing and pricing guidelines book, which Scotty's going to tag. It's in the show notes. It's in the show notes. I promise you. Yeah, it's really good. The amazing thing about this book, so one of the first big packaging projects that I was interviewing for, um, we we talked about the project and then the company said, it was a Friday, they said, get back to us on Monday with your quote, including licensing. And I knew licensing was a thing, but I really hadn't had to work with it before. So I was just at a loss and I was like, Googling and I couldn't figure out what to do. And then I saw this book on Amazon, bought it. It arrived by Sunday via prime. And I was able to actually write a a quote that was, you know, really reflected current market rates based on this book. And it includes graphic design. It includes packaging design. It includes animation, illustration, technical illustration, medical illustration. 
it's got all these different subcategories. Like, so you can actually look at it and say, okay, um, someone wants a children's book cover. I don't know what the going rate is. Do you know? Like, I have no idea. No, I know what the going rate for podcast sponsors are, you know, for per thousand episodes. I know that. The book knows. The book is smart. The book knows. Yeah, it's um like that movie Hocus Pocus, like boo. Yes. One of my favorite movies. I like creepy horror stuff. That was a good one growing up. Yeah. So I really recommend that that you you can get last year's version. You can get a few versions back for a lot cheaper. But just um definitely check that book out if you haven't, because you'll learn the correct language you should be using. You'll learn the difference between something like um full buyout and work for hire, like these terms that people are going to throw your way, it's there for you. Does it talk about above the line and below the line usage and things like that? Yeah, it's like, it's it's a really full and comprehensive it's guide. It's a freelancer's I mean, Bible, essentially. It really is. I mean, I preach this to everybody. I'm preaching the, the word of the Graphic Designers Guild. Well, look, and look where you are now, you know? Like, why wouldn't, if somebody's gonna take their shit seriously, put in the work, like you should know this stuff. Yeah. And you know, so many people just like ask the question, like I again, get a lot of emails that are like, Hey, this beer packaging company wants to hire me and I don't know what to charge. Can you help? And on the one hand, I'm kind of like, I mean, I can try it. I'm not a teacher. You know, that's not in me. I spend enough time quoting my own projects, but there are resources. So I recommend that anybody who's actually trying to get into the industry, like Surround yourself with resources so that you can be self-sufficient and you can find out what you should be charging. Direct everyone to this episode. It's worse to undercharge than anything. Like, it really is. I have lost more gigs undercharging because someone didn't take me seriously. Like, if I look back on emails where I was quoting projects when I first started, my quote was so low that I feel like it's the same thing as if you're hiring a wedding photographer and the wedding photographer says, great, it'll be an eight hour shoot. I'll have a second photographer. It'll be $300. You're kind of like, those aren't going to be good photos. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is this person carrying a cell phone? Like what's, are they a college student? Like what's happening here? It's the same thing. Like, by undercharging, you're probably also not going to get work because someone won't think that you know what you're doing. It falls back to the line of what you driv- drove home earlier. Take yourself seriously. The more you continue to take yourself seriously and you know see yourself in this different light as like, I'm a professional, I'm a designer, I'm an illustrator. The more you continue to show up with this mindset and project it onto the world, the world's eventually going to start aligning with it and see you as that too. I definitely think so. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun build out those contract templates, build out your quote template, make a little cover page when you send off your sketches. Pitch decks too? Pitch decks, like build a pitch deck. And you know how you can find out how to build a pitch deck? The internet. Google. It's great, (laughs) yeah. Bing or Yahoo? (laughs) Yeah, I I love Bing, hugely important in my career. Shush up. (laughs) But like really, take yourself seriously. Imagine how somebody would like, what would impress you if somebody sent you an email? It's if they have, you know, concise, positive language, they're well-spoken. They send you an organized brief. 
they're reliable. Like all these things are things that you should be projecting outwardly as well. Go the extra mile. Spend a little time, get organized, get educated. It's really possible. There's a lot of work out there. Before I go into listener questions, let's pivot real quick and talk about contracts. Yes. Um, I know you had some amendments and some things that you specifically inject there. People are clueless on contracts too. Yeah. Also, there's sample contracts in that book. I'm telling you. Wealth of knowledge. But um, yeah, contracts are huge. Making sure that you have your deliverables set at the beginning of a project. Um, I usually do flat fee contracts, but I include stipulations that, you know, this contract gets you exactly five sketches one idea taken to completion, you know, it includes vector. If you have added that on, that is the scope of our project. Any work exceeding the scope of that project, additional concepts, changes in direction that will be billed hourly or will require a new agreement. Like the earlier on in a project that you can set the ground rules, the less problems you'll have later on. And it's so worth it to take the time to do that at the beginning. So one of the big things for me as well is liability. Um, we work in an industry where somebody can give us an idea of something that they want. Like if you, Scotty, said to me that you wanted a logo and you're like, what I really want is, you know, um, a unicorn jumping over a moon with like flames behind it and um, laser beams shooting out of its eyes. I'm like, wow, how cool. What a fun idea. That sounds interesting. But I don't know if you actually just saw that idea somewhere else and you're adapting it. Like to me, it's implied that it's from your own brain, but there's no way to actually be sure. So liability is huge. Um, what that means is like, who is the responsible party in a case of copyright infringement? So most contracts, if you get them from companies, if companies hire you, ask them if they have a general services agreement that they want to send you. Most of them do. Most of them have legal teams, at least the bigger companies do. And if they don't, it's on you to write a contract. There are lots of legal legal Zoom. There are tons of like legal services that you can use to look over your contracts. You can do it one time, build one contract that is your standard contract, and then you're kind of good to go from there on out. But I include a liability clause in my own contract, which basically says that if the client is the one who gave me the concept, then the liability is on them. Like if they tell me like, we, you know, we have this beautiful package and we want like leaves covering it. That's vague. That's on me to figure out how those leaves look. I do not mind taking on the liability in a case like that. Cause I know I'm not going to seal it. I know I'm not going to appropriate somebody else's work. Like I can guarantee that the idea is authentically mine but you can't be responsible for your clients. For sure. No, that's gold. That's something that nobody ever thinks of. So, yeah. And I know it all sounds daunting. Like I'm sure it does sound daunting. I hear myself speak and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm throwing a lot out there, but it really is also is exciting and very like very freeing when you're working on a project, when the project hits that point where it's starting to go to shit and we've all been there someone hasn't written you back in nine days and you're like, Oh God, they hate it. Like, and they come back and they've changed their mind. Like having something that protects you from that terrible moment where you know that like 
you have the right to ask for more money because you agreed to A and they are telling you to do B. Like it's daunting now. It's so much less of a headache later. That's money. How are your contracts? At the moment, non-existent because I'm not doing any freelance. So yeah, but I've learned my lesson with those. So yes, contracts cover my ass for sure. I know you're, you have way more knowledge than I do, but also you do way more freelance than I do. And I'm, I'm focused on the podcast right now, podcast and passive, passive income. That's my, that's my goal of 2019. So I have no passive income. I have some ideas for you actually oh, after great. a call, if you were interested, but it, it requires a little time up front, but I think you can make some monies off of it. Are you going to sign me up for a pyramid scheme? Um, I'm going to sell you Bitcoin. No, <laughs> Is it that permanent lipstick thing? Nope, nope, nope. None of that shit. That's not my style. I sell value, just like you. Yeah. Before we go into some rapid fires, I want to get to some listener questions. And you can just answer these quickly, too. So Belinda Koo asks, how long does it take from sketch to completion on a typical piece? And let's just say something like um, a small brand to a large brand. We kind of covered it, but like, what's the smallest amount that you'll do? And what's the largest amount? I don't think I've ever done anything in the last several years for less than 20 hours. It just doesn't happen for me. And you don't really have time for personal projects either, but like a personal project still would go around 20 hours too? Yeah, probably. I think around the uh, around the 15 hour mark is like the drawing time. Damn. But the planning and all of the things surrounding that um, definitely take longer. And then I would say my most average project is like 35 hours. Like that's kind of, it's like two, I have basically two pockets where it's like the 15 hour drawing and the 30 hour drawing and then plus um, creation time and contracts and all that just cushioning on either side. Okay. Okay. I really like this question. It'd been great if it would work the first time around, but Lisa Quine asks. I'm ready. <laughs> When did she start at the bottom and then get here? Was it God's plan? Her projects are fire back to back. I've been peeping what you bring into the table for years now. It's just too good. And her likes go from zero to hundred real quick. Where does she get her energy? She's got a lot of energy and is drawing every day, every day, every day. Okay, I'm done. Take care. <laughs> also, who's Drake? So I love that I, you had to read that multiple times. Also. Yeah, and, and Leah Chong then follows up with that is how I was working with Drake. We don't have to get into it too much because we especially got some uh, rapid fire answers to it. I want to respect your time, but just give the brief synopsis of what you can talk about real quick. Yeah, so I worked on the mod selection champagne. I can really hear my Midwest coming out when I say that. Um, I worked on this champagne project that Brent Hawking, who is the founder of De Leon Tequila and Virginia Black Whiskey, which was also a joint venture with Drake. Um, so Mod Selection is the newest in the portfolio. And I was brought on to illustrate the outer packaging like of the bottle. So it's this really, really intricate floral um, design that is a, a nod to French history. So I got to go out to Champagne Country. and We. Oui. Yeah, we oui, indeed. <laughs> I ate some really good cheese. Um, but no, this bottle is like, insanely gorgeous it's absolutely hands down the coolest thing i've ever worked on and i don't have drake's phone number was it a buyout yes oh absolutely yeah of course balling yeah with that no with that kind of project like the like that is it's gotta be that is mod selections artwork they can use it for whatever they want in the future in perpetuity like that is their design and when's it come out so we can hopefully grab one of these bottles yeah um 300 to 400 dollars a pop that's it shit which is why i have not opened mine yet 
but uh, I think it officially launched in January. Don't hold me to that, but it's definitely for sale. I know for certain that it's for sale in a lot of shops in California, wine shops, and then I think you can buy it on online as well. Cool. Southern Wine and Glazer is, I think, the distributor of it. So, Congratulations on that, by the way. That's huge. Thank you. That's huge. But in my mind, you're just scratching the surface. So you're going to be hit up by like Oprah or Ellen next. Well, that would be a dream. It's coming. Ask for it. Ask for it. I just finished a gin label that is like, it's really one of the coolest things I've made. So I'm really excited for that to come out later this year. Hopefully 300 or 400 too for ballers like us. I don't think so on that one. (laughs) Real quick before we go into rapid fire questions, what's one piece of advice you give to your past self when you were just starting out? Well, my first answer for this first time around was to take yourself seriously, but I feel like we already touched on that, but I'll, I'll touch on it again. Take yourself seriously early on. Be like that professional ice skater who started when they were six years old and didn't have a lot of friends because they were so passionate about their craft. Like be that person who takes yourself seriously and your life will be fruitful and you'll be happier You'll fight imposter syndrome, which like I have still really bad. Like you got to start fighting it soon. (laughs) Other people will take you seriously. Be confident when you describe yourself. Like we talked about, have your elevator pitch down and say it with confidence. So when somebody asks you, what do you do? Make sure you know your answer so that you don't waffle through it. You don't want to be the person who's like, um, well, like I draw, but so like what I really want to do is, so I'm an artist, I'm an artist, but like, well, so I also, well, nobody wants that person. Don't like do you that. want to be able to confidently say, I'm an artist, leave it to the person you're talking to to ask the follow-up, but like practice saying that about yourself. Money. Yeah. Bunny, I, I needed you to tell me that like three years ago. Have you worked on your elevator pitch since we last talked? Oh, I already got that down. Ours were good. Yeah, ours were pretty good. I've I've had to use it enough now, so I'm I got it down. Will you say it again? Okay. My name is Scotty Russell. I operate, create, and teach under the platform Perspective Collective. I'm the host of the Perspective Podcast, and I'm also a creative coach helping creatives like you build your side hustle and grow your brand outside your day job. That elevator had to be slow closing, but it was good. I'm a creative coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Elevator pitch is like, I was told, around 10 seconds to 15 seconds. It depends what floor you're going to, I guess. Exactly. It depends on the elevator. This is my escalator pitch. Yeah, escalator pitch. (laughs) When you're passing, going up, going down. Exactly, exactly. You can scream it at the end. Rapid fire. If you were on death row, what would your last slice of pizza be? My favorite pizza is from Coal Fire in Chicago. It's a sausage pistachio pesto with honey and burrata thin crust freaky if you could have lunch with one person dead or alive who would it be and why (laughs) joshua johnson who hosts the 1a podcast it's my favorite podcast other than yours no it's actually my favorite i listen to it every day i'm not offended every day not offended at all so good this guy what's your guilty pleasure outside of design uh guilty is hard but um i like cooking oh um reality television reality television are you a kardashian fan no, actually, I only do, I only do shows where like someone's fighting for love, but like, it's never gonna happen for them. Mm, Brett Michaels, like, Rock of like Love, like the Bachelor then. kind of uh, thing. Yeah. Wah, wah, yeah. Wah. 
Yeah, okay. no, I just watch them to make fun of people. Okay, cool. Um, where do you seek your inspiration online and offline? I try not to find inspiration online. I love that. I'm I'm working on that. Take that to the bank, everyone. Honestly, it's such a echo chamber sometimes, and I I really don't want to say that in a negative way, and I don't intend to imply that other artists are echoing each other a ton. They are. But the thing is, the thing is, if you're only getting this inspiration from people you follow, you know, you're only getting 900 people just kind of bouncing off and on each other. It's like you're on an island, right? Like you only know what's going on on that island. So I try really hard not to be on the internet, not to gain inspiration from the internet. I try to go outside. I try to learn about things. I'm a big reader. I really like stories about like mountaineering, like things that are so different than what I do because it just helps diversify what you're working on. And you want to have a proprietary style that is not anybody else's. And I personally find that I'm only able to do that if I'm not looking at somebody else. So Word. I actually don't follow most of the, well, I follow a lot of people, but I try not to follow people that I feel I could have a similar aesthetic to. And it's not because I don't love their work. It's because I don't want to see their work when I close my eyes. Totally get it. Yeah. I think that's such a huge tip. Okay. Um, where can people go to follow you online to gain inspiration from you and support <laughs> you? And real quick, give a shameless plug about your nature and gather guided journals. Yeah. Um, so you can follow me at little patterns across platforms. I'm on Behance. I'm on dribble. I'm on Instagram. I'm out in the world. I visited 36 states last year, so you might see me bopping around and you can say hi now that you know what my face looks like. Come to Iowa. Come to Iowa. Wow. <laughs> I was in Chicago for too long. I'm not going to go over there. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, and then I have two books out that were both published with Timber Press. So they're guided journals, which means that they are journals that have calendars already inside of them that are undated. They have writing prompts that you can color them. They're like uh, grown-up activity books. And you can find those on Amazon. You can either look up my first and last name, Maggie and Torrios, or you can look up Gather, a foraging journal, or Nature Observer, a guided journal. Even easier, go to the freaking show notes. <sighs> there you go. I got you. Maggie, thank you so much for your time and then time and then your time again. I know this is going to be a listener favorite, for real. I appreciate the hell out of you and the knowledge you dropped today. I can't wait to drop this one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hopefully we don't have to do this a fourth time. And the next time it can just be different stuff. And the next time it'll be different stuff in the future. You are totally going to be on again. Thank you again. Have an incredible day. Enjoy your trip. Bye, everyone. family i bring you maggie of little patterns now maggie just dished out straight fire and i know this one will be a listener favorite no doubt and you know what to do so if what she said made an impact on you today and brought you value to your creative side hustle go right now show her some love on all of her social platforms pepper her show her some encouragement go like some photos dm her blow her up all right go blow her up and we're going to find a way to set up some time 
to follow up with all your questions and she's going to answer them all directly in the private Facebook group. So join this free community, this free family right now also at The Perspective Dash Collective on Facebook. Maggie, thank you so much for your time. You absolutely crushed it today and you deserve yourself another canned wine to celebrate. And you also mentioned that you drink box wine. So whatever floats your boat. Also, last thing about this is Maggie provided a ton of references and links and resources for what we talked about today. And you can find all this in the show notes as well as a video of our conversation over at perspective-collective.com slash 116. All right. If you're digging what you hear and you want to support the growth of this show, there's two ways you can make this happen. The first is by you can financially support the show by backing the podcast over at patreon.com slash perspective podcast, just like my friends did over at Iron Bean Coffee Company. And the next is by subscribing, rating, and leaving a review in Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. The subscribing and the reviews not only help the shows climb the charts in the design category, but it also lets me return the love by giving you a shout out as the listener of the week. And it gets your name mentioned in the show notes as well as in the newsletter. Again, I'm able to read those international reviews, so don't be shy. This listener of the week goes to Riveting and Revolting from Austria. They titled it Great Podcast for Creatives. They stay... Scotty has great interviews with big names in the design and lettering world. Each episode is super informative and he does a great job breaking down key takeaways and giving listeners actionable steps to grow your creative game. Damn straight. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Thanks so much for taking the time to do it. And as I wrap things up, I want to give a huge thank you to my podcast editor, Anya Brennan, executive assistant, Paige Garland, and the newcomer, video specialist, Colton Bacher. I could not do this without you guys. And a huge thanks goes to Nick Jenkins of Bluka for all the dope theme music you hear on the show. Listen and support him at SoundCloud, Spotify, and Instagram at Bluka. That's B-L-O-O-K-A-H. And as you finish off your week here strong, I want to continue to encourage you to keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and keep creating. You got this. Mm-hmm.